Well, welcome once again to our online service. So glad, so honored that you made the decision to be with us today. We are in a series called Loving Like Jesus, and we started this a couple weeks ago uh, because we were wanted to ask ourselves the question. You know, when COVID-19 is just a story we tell, whether that's one year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, what would that story be? Because this is, this is so relevant because right now our present action is telling that future story. How we act right now is what's telling that future story. Would, would it be a story of, of, of love, of faith and, and hope? Or would it be apathy, fear, and despair? You see, fear is going to cause us to, to, towards self-preservation. That's, that's, where, that's where that goes. Fear always leads to self-preservation. But it's love that causes us to want to invest our life, to want to give our lives away. And that's a story that we want to tell. Love will empower you. Fear will cause you to want to uh, hold on to your life, but love will empower you to invest your life. And Jesus invites us on a journey that will enable you to tell a story like no other because Jesus empowers us to love like no other. And in the final week of Jesus' life, he not only verbalizes this, but he dramatized how he loves us in three movements or actions. He, he first, he takes off his outer garment. That is, there is an undressing, there is a letting go, there is a divestment of power, of privilege, of preference and how he loves us. And we learn that our ability to love is connected to our ability to let go. And then he became a slave and he washes feet. So today we're gonna talk about what does it mean to become a slave? Well, in the ancient world, becoming a slave was almost an uncrossable boundary. I mean, they were divided, you know, you had Jew and then you had Gentile. You, you had male and you had female and you had uh, slave and you had free. There, there was a division. So you can understand why the disciples just did not get it when Jesus would over and over and over again talk about, man, I've not come to, to acquire servants, but I have come to, to be a servant. They just didn't think that way. It was an unfathomable thought to them. And so ultimately he would, he would die a slave's death. I mean, he would take this to the end and he would die a slave's death. He even uh, was betrayed for the slave's price. In the Hebrew culture, the price of a slave, like if an ox gored your slave, the price that was paid was 30 pieces of silver. The price that was paid for the life of Jesus we understand that the role of washing feet was done by a slave in this culture and it was the lowest of the low. In fact, a rabbi could have his students do anything for them. The only thing that he, they, he could not ask them to do was to wash their feet. It was just, that was crossing the line. That was too far. Even in, in Middle Eastern culture today, that, that's still, I mean, you might remember in 2003 uh, when they pulled down the statue of Saddam Hussein. Do uh, you remember they were, they were hitting the statue? And you, if you might remember what they're hitting with, they were taking off their shoe and they were hitting Saddam with their shoe because they could not think of anything more shameful than the, than, than the feet because the feet is like the lowest of the low. So why did Jesus do that? Why did Jesus take this, this low spot? I mean, you can understand why Peter is shocked by this. I mean, when Jesus goes down to do this, he's like, Lord, what are you doing down there? You're not supposed to be down there. You're supposed to be up here, Right? Peter almost missed Jesus, just like many of us miss Jesus. Many of us miss God because we think he's too far and he's too distant, when in reality, he's too near and he's too low. Isaiah 
said it this way. He says, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And here it is. We esteemed him not. We, we didn't esteem him then and we don't esteem him now. Peter doesn't realize, just like many of us don't realize, how much trouble he was in. He didn't realize he needed a dying savior. He didn't realize he needed a foot washing savior. Jesus went on to say, look, if you don't let me wash your feet, you can have no part of me. Like Peter, a lot of us think like, man, I'm not that bad and God's not that mad. This isn't necessary. You know, I've made a few mistakes, but I'm trying to be a good person. If you're spending all of your time trying to like uh, prop yourself up with who you are and what you've done and your accomplishments and you're, tr- and, and you're trying to, to get to God, you, you think he's too far and he's too distant when in reality, he's too near and he's too low. You don't see how bad your sins are. You see, the cross demonstrates his, him becoming a slave communicates to us that our sins were that bad. But it also communicates that he loves us so much that he was, he was glad to do this. He, he became a slave for us. He loved us. I'll say it this way. He took the hit. You know, and, and if you don't watch football, it's a, a term that commentators will use sometimes that the, the, the QB took the hit. And, and the scene is a quarterback, you know, he takes the ball, he has the ball, he sees a, a wide receiver opening up and he's getting ready to throw the ball and he has a decision to make because the receiver isn't quite open. But if he can just hold on for two more seconds, the receiver opens up and he can throw the ball and they win the game. The only problem is there's a lineman coming at him, a 290 pound lineman coming at him wanting to take off his head and he'll be there, oh, in about two seconds. So he has two choices. Do I, do I absorb the hit and win the game for the team or do I duck and cover and the team loses? What was Jesus Christ doing on the cross? He was taking the hit for all of us. Not just at the risk of injury or losing his career, but at the cost of his life. Jesus it says in, in, in John 13, verse three, it says that knowing that the father had given him all things into his hands, that he had come from God, he was going back to God. Then he rose from supper and he became a slave for us. What that verse is saying is like, he knew that his purpose, that he was sent from God for a purpose and that he would go back to God after accomplishing that purpose. And in, in what he's saying here, that in him rising up and him becoming a slave for these men and for us, that was his purpose. That was why he was sent. In this upper room, Jesus gets up and decides, hey, look, somebody's got to clean off these feet. Somebody's got to do this. Somebody's got to be the servant. Somebody's got to become the slave. It's not my job, but I'm going to make it my job. It's not my fault. I'm going to do it anyway. He's like that quarterback. You know, it wasn't his fault that the, that the, that the lineman was coming through and getting ready to take off his head, but he was in a position to take the hit. And that's what Jesus says. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's like, I will take the hit. I will absorb the cost. I will take on the misery. You know, we all may have different reasons for why there's misery in the world, why there's problems in the world. Just like even going back to that illustration, you know, you can blame the receiver, you can blame the lineman, you can blame the coaching, you can, bl- you know, maybe it's a bad draft pick. There's all kinds of reasons why in that story that the team was in that trouble. And there's all kinds of reasons why our world is in the trouble that it's in. 
But I think we can all agree that the world is messed up. We can't deny the greed. We can't deny the selfishness. We can't deny the cruelty and the misery and the hatred. It's there. And what's the reason? What's the fault? Well, Jesus stands up in the middle of that and says, look, you know what? It's not my fault, but I will absorb the cost. Think about your life. You've been very, some of you have been very badly mistreated very badly mistreated. And, and who's going to bear the cost of that? And Because right now you're bearing the cost and you're thinking, well, may, the person who hurt me, they should bear the cost. And, and that seems right, except that maybe somebody hurt them. Maybe the reason why they hurt you is because somebody else hurt them. And then think about the reality that other people probably point the finger at you for the reason why they're in pain, why they're in misery, why they're suffering. The pain, the misery, and the suffering in the world is very complex. It's, there's lots of reasons for it. The question is, who is going to stand up and bear the cross? Jesus Christ stands up in the middle of all of our pain and all of our suffering and all of our anxiety and depression and and the hatred and the misery. And he stands up and says, I will bear the cost for it all. And he did. He became a slave for us. I will bear the cost for the infinite misery and suffering in the world, all of it. And he suffered rejection. He suffered alienation. He absorbed the full divine wrath and justice for all the collective sin for the centuries of the world, in the world. That is why he came. And this action is critical for you and I to understand. We must see what Jesus is doing here because that was the purpose for his life. And that means that is the purpose for our our life. Jesus came and he turned greatness upside down. He turned power upside down. He turned success upside down. First is last, last is first. To lose is to win. To die is to live. That's what he goes on. In John 13, he says, when he had washed their feet, when he put out his outer garments and resumed his place, that is, he, he became the slave. He did what he was supposed to do. He says, do you understand what I have done for you? And I just want to pause right there and ask you that question. Do you understand what Jesus has done for you? Do you understand how far he descended for you? Do you understand that he absorbed the hit for you, for the sins against you and the sins that you have committed against other people or will commit against other people? Do you understand what I've done for you? Do you understand that I have become a slave for you? And then he says this, you call me teacher and Lord and you are right for I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you as an example, and here it is, that you also should do just as I have done to you. This is what he calls you and I to do. He calls us to to become a servant to others, just like he has become a servant to us. This is life. This is purpose. So in loving our families, this is for all of us. You know, there's a common scene at the end of dinner. You know, the kitchen is a mess. Who's going to clean it? Who's going to take a hit? Whose fault is it? Who, who caused a mess? Well, we all kind of did. The greatest in the room is not the one who gets the remote and kicks back in the chair. It's the one who becomes a servant. The one who absorbs That's why in the mind of Jesus and other New Testament writers, that leadership, whether that's in in any context, is the one, is synonymous with becoming a servant. Leadership is synonymous with becoming 
a servant. We should be those who, who say, you know what? I don't care whose fault it is. I am going to absorb the cost. This is true when we go to our work, whether we're, at, you know, we're doing that virtually now or we're going physically into work, wherever that is. What does it look like to embody the lifestyle of a servant with your coworkers, with your boss? It doesn't mean becoming a doormat per se, but it does mean operating with the mindset that my purpose is them before me. I am here to serve them. I am here to shed light on the love of Jesus for them. Same thing with employers. If you're a boss, yes, you have to give direction. Yes, you have to tell people what to do. Yes, you have to serve the interests of the company. But in doing so, it's so important that you embody the mindset of a servant to those that you've called to lead to your employees. In the church, who's gonna take care of the needs? There's needs in the church. We know we're a family. Who's gonna take the hit? Who's gonna absorb the cost? Moving out into the community, you know, there's, there's the poor, they're the marginalized. Why are they poor? Why are they marginalized? You know, there's, there's unemployed, there's homeless. There's a wrongdoing. People shouldn't be in the streets. Shouldn't, people shouldn't be starving. People should have food. People should have shelter. What's wrong? The answer is very complex for why that's true. But the issue now is who's going to take the hit? Who's gonna absorb the cost? You know, we're like, not me, not me, not me. A servant is one who gets up and says, whether it's my fault or not, I am going to stand up and I am going to bear the cost. I am going to take the hit. You know, there's racism, there's injustice in our world. Again, very complex. A servant gets up and takes the hit. Jesus doesn't just demonstrate, Jesus demonstrates here that the whole meaning of his life is being a servant. That's clear. But what I also want us to see is that it also has to do with our purpose, right? And this is so relevant in this season because some of us are really struggling. And one of the reasons why we're really struggling is because our purpose for life is being pushed at. You know, if your purpose in life is to be happy, that's, that's, that's getting pushed at. If your purpose in life is my friends, if, if your purpose in life is having what you want when you want it, that's being challenged, that's being pushed at. But our purpose is not our real purpose is not getting what we want. It's as great as friends are. It's not even having friends around and, and having a good time. It's not having what we want when we want. It's not having, you know, the security of money and wealth and job and all of that. Our purpose in life is becoming a servant just like Jesus, like loving just like Jesus. And if that's our purpose, man, business is good. Like this is a great season for us because we can, we can serve like this in any season that we face. And I want to invite you to re-engage with that purpose, to re-engage here what Jesus is talking about when he says the essence of love is becoming a servant. The essence of love is being committed to somebody else's greatness, not our own greatness, not our own greatness. To sacrifice whatever we can so that for, for their lasting greatness. And we, you and I know, if you're, if you're a Christ follower, you and I know that's connected to knowing the God of the universe. You see, we are, the Bible says that we are created as eternal beings to, to, to reflect God, to get near to God, to know God. And with that perspective, those who, who would claim the name of Christ, man, we need to embody the life of a servant so that many people, 
so as many people as possible can know him. That was Paul's mindset. He said this to the Corinthians. He says, for though I am free from all, and I just want you to know that if you're a Christian, you are free. You are free. You are under no obligation. But I have made myself a servant. So Paul says, I've made myself a servant to all. I'm free from all, but I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. A Christian, then when we are in our right mind, we're like, man, nobody owes me anything. Nobody owes me anything. A Christian, when we're in our right mind, we look at the world and say, the world, world you don't owe me anything. You, you, you don't owe me anything um, because I don't deserve what I have. I, I, what I deserve, I deserve to be punished. I deserve to be judged. I deserve, um, I deserve what Jesus got on the cross. But he set me free from that by the mercy of God and Jesus's infinite sacrifice. I am rich in eternal terms beyond imagination. So I can impoverish myself. I can impoverish my freedoms now. I can impoverish myself financially now. I can impoverish my, my energy now because I have eternal resources in God. I don't have to look at the world and say, you better treat me nicely. You better be good to me. I can, I can impoverish myself for others. Are you in your right mind today, Christian? Are you in your right mind or have you given up on people? Are you in your right mind or you still have expectations of how people treat you? Are you in your right mind? Are you apathetic toward people? You know, some people say that. Look, I don't need anything from anyone. I just want people to leave me alone. Well, that's what you want from them. We're not called to, to, to have people give us what we want. We're called to, to, to turn around and, and do what Jesus did and to get low and to wash feet and to become a servant for others. Our present action is telling a future story. And this life that we have is so momentary. And COVID-19 is even more temporary than our, our life. We are being pressed and the temptation, the temptation is great and it's to fight for what we want. The, the, the temptation to fight for what we want is real. We are being pressed on because it, we see people who disagree with us, who are out to get us, who are out to steal the life that we want, who are trying to take away happiness for us. But what if, like Jesus, when we look around in our rooms, you see in his room, he saw 12 people. He saw a betrayer, he saw a denier, and he saw 10 people who had abandoned him in its darkest moment. And he looked around in that room and he became a servant for them. What if we were to look around in our room and we took off our desire for power, for privilege, for preference, and we kneeled to the floor to be a servant to them. Our money, a servant to them. Our schedule, a servant to them. Our time, a servant to them. And here's a hard one for me. Our energy, a servant for them. We would tap in. Here's what would happen. We would tap into a deeper level of purpose. We would tap in for the purpose for which we were created. Second thing would happen is that the love of Christ would shine so bright in and through us that people would, be, would flock to Jesus. And the title of this series, I got to be honest, the title of this series is a little misleading because in our own strength, we can never, ever love like this. But the good news is that we have way more than our own strength. You see, the key to living like this is not imitation, but transformation. It's beholding the love of God for you, not by looking up and far away, but by looking down and near, seeing Him wash your feet, contemplating the greatness of His love for you and allowing that to melt your heart and transform your mind to live 
a different way. Maybe you've been searching for Jesus and, and, and you've missed him. Again, not because, you know, he's too far and too high, but because he's so close and so low and you've missed him. You've been looking to other things. You've been looking to being, being a good person, but you've not taken the moment to contemplate just how really, quite frankly, how low he had to go, how far he had to go to pay for your sin how loving he is that he was glad to do it. And in a minute, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to that love. But here's what I want us all to do. We're going to sing a song about the love of God for us. And I want us to take the time to, re- to reflect just how great his love is for us.